Season 3, Chapter 10 The Event Horizon I'm sorry, boy, but I have nothing left to give you. Shell Silverstein The Event Horizon The child was soulless, devoid of light. Why are you crying, dummy? Dummy, a carryover from a time when her baby lips couldn't say, Mummy. Even as an adult, she never could say the word. Because it's a beautiful story about devotion and unselfishness, Marilyn answered softly while caressing her daughter's hair. But the tender bedtime lesson was not to be. The Giving Tree was a dumb book read by a dummy, and Samantha's fury burned red hot. She kicked her little legs free of her bedding so that she could stand over the woman before unleashing her verbal beating. Why didn't that boy just kill more trees? This is a stupid story. Why do you read me these things? Get out of my room, dummy! Marilyn's face contorted, and her tears quickly changed direction away from the child, something Marilyn never could bring herself to do on her own. But now... Dummy was dead. Seems she had cried herself into the dirt. Ah, this memory was a good one. The dreaming was something they all did. While blood cells were preoccupied with renewal, they were free to fly through time like sand on a summer breeze. The slow congealing would come hours later, and so would the pain. Its intensity could make you panic, make you rush and take risks, and it could make you very sick. It could also bring understanding, if you needed it. But self-reflection would have been wasted on this perfect predator, for she was exactly where she wanted to be, and besides, she had mastered the pain. Samantha's eyes opened. The darkness was calling, but so what? She would decide when it was time to leave. She cocked her head, and she listened. The others were still sick. When they are ready, they will serve me, she announced. Her body leached up and onto the ceiling, while her words, heavy with hubris, dropped down between the floorboards and onto the skank of the cellar floor. These brazen bombs rolled like ball bearings through the cobwebs and rat droppings, until they collided with the other thoughts that she had dared to utter out loud. Her plans were pulling in on themselves and taking shape, rotating like a black hole. Finally, and in her own time, she left the house and entered the woods. That she should be drawn back to the familiar locations of her youth intrigued her. She had never intended to revisit the scorched earth of her past, but now... She couldn't get enough of it. This past summer, her first, was spent hovering around her old neighborhood and the brownstone that she had grown up in. Her father was not there, but she stayed anyway, sleeping in empty condos and partying with anyone who managed to excite her. She was mesmerized by the throngs that ballooned up from the subway each day, and she would pass the hours people-watching. Occasionally, one or two might look up from his or her cell phone and wonder about a certain heavy feeling, but most were oblivious, like zombies. When she grew bored of Boston, 
She traveled north toward the edge of civilization and the only other place her father could be. She couldn't wait to surprise him. She hated her parents for making her come here over the years. They were squandering her inheritance on fresh air and the sound of water. A place on the lake had been their life's goal, and so, of course, she would punish them for it. Why don't you bring a friend, honey? Or, if the water is calm, we could ski with the Kemps. You like the Kemps, don't you, sweetheart? She could have done any number of these things quite easily, but that would have relieved her parents of their guilt. Their pathetic groveling was an addictive pleasure, like the steady supply of turquoise Tiffany boxes that she consumed like vitamins. Anything to make her happy. She was at the marina now, a place she knew well. The little store still had the same for-sale sign tacked to the front door, and the sun-bleached clabberds were miraculously still attached, curled up like burned toast. Nothing about the building had changed, and she smirked, remembering the day she lost her virginity with the dirty old man who ran the place. The act had inspired her to set up shop behind the giant propane tank, servicing the local construction workers who would line up at lunchtime to see her. She wanted her parents to find out and be horrified. The plan had worked marvelously. Her head snapped hard to the left. She could feel it, the unmistakable tingle of someone close by. She left the building and glided toward the warmth. There, hunched over a boat motor, was a man, and he was talking to himself. She preened and arranged her long hair around her face. Being beautiful aroused her. Hello there, she said, stretching her words out toward the man like poison candy. The man startled, and then he looked up. Hey, how's it going, he said, while looking around to confirm that this good fortune, indeed, belonged to him. Anyone in there, she asked seductively, and motioned to the building behind her. It's closed for the season, he responded. Quickly, he wiped his hands on the back of his jeans and hopped down off of the dock to look straight at her. The split seconds that followed punched at his subconscious. Something was off, but it was happening so fast. Hmm, that's good, she answered back. He could feel pressure around his face and on the back of his legs, and for a moment he thought that someone might have been right behind him. He turned his head to make sure. His confusion and inevitable terror was the part she loved the most, and she would not rush it. Come closer, she said. And he did. Not too much. If you take it all at once, you'll be sick. She thought about the pathetic little giving tree. She thought about the blackness that she had mastered and the two worlds she traveled between. Take your time. She played with the man, pushing him toward the precipice until he could see what she saw. Infinity. The beginning and the end of all matter. A churning field of nothingness. You are a boring boy. So now go and bore yourself until the end of time. And then, when he had nothing left to give her, she released her grip and let him collapse backwards, 
into the abyss. The last bits of twilight were gone. She felt refreshed. Now it was time to move east toward the big home along the shoreline, the only one with the lights on. He couldn't have known that her words would leave him better prepared, that her secret would save him, and yet somehow he did. Her cabin felt safe, comfortable. This was where he was supposed to be. The heavy bag of hopelessness and worry that he'd been dragging around had emptied itself the moment he sat down. They were side by side on her front steps for some time before she too let go of her burdens and started her story. Charlie was the love of my life, she began. Nathan noticed the way she delicately wrapped the syllables of her husband's name with longing. She spoke about loss and death and a girl who could not rest, the girl on the trail camera. He had come here looking for answers, and so, of course, it would be bad. The underbelly of humanity is ugly, and he knew it. Rape, dismemberment, murder, and a shallow grave. All of this was confirmation that his fight was a lost cause and that evil lurked everywhere. But then, completely out of the blue, she spoke of love. The same breath that had formed the gruesome story had also given shape to goodness and enlightenment. To a man who understood the world as black or white, other colors had never occurred to him. Unceremoniously, she finished talking, but Nathan was still confused about one thing, and so he asked it. Why do you stay out here, all alone? I'm not alone, she said. It took me a lifetime of loss to see that, but Charlie was patient, and I eventually learned. Learned what? That you don't see with your eyes, you see with your heart, she said, not caring if the sheriff believed her or not. Like him, the woman straddled two worlds, yet she was at peace. She accepted the presence of evil, and remarkably, she still believed in love. This was the message that grabbed Nathan by the shoulder and spun him around to face the sun. Perhaps it was time to wake up and see that all was not lost. The drive back was dark and seemingly endless, all of it made longer by his eagerness to get home and make a phone call, one that was years overdue. The sheriff switched on his high beams and he leaned forward. Would he ever see the girl? Was there anything he could do to help her and set things right? Abram, Robbie, and Eugene had dragged her off of this very road and done the unspeakable all those years ago. Of the three, it was Abram who still lived. This evil smear walked with the sheriff along the border of life and death, and he needed to be destroyed. If Nathan could do that then maybe everyone would be set free. He remembered his words to Ed, Justice. Let's start with justice. He was justice, and only he could do this. He passed the turnoff to Faye's place. It will always be yours, Faye, he declared to anyone who might be listening. 
He would protect everything that he could for as long as he could. This was his purpose in life. But all of that would come later. What was most pressing was the phone call to Amelia. He wanted only to hear her voice, to be with her. The feeling was as clear and strong as a church bell, pushing him back against the gravity of it all, and he didn't want to waste a second more denying the truth that he loved her. The Event Horizon, written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories, and visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>